Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Now, the vast majority of animals reproduce sexually. And for that, you need different sexes. But how exactly are different sexes determined? And what happens if a developing embryo receives conflicting signals? Well, in today's episode, we're going to explore these questions as we delve into the fascinating paper High Elevation Increases the Risk of Y-Chromosome Loss in Alpine Skink Populations with Sex Reversal. This is a really eye-opening study into the incredibly complex processes behind biological sex determination. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please both introduce yourselves? Okay, yeah. Thank you for the invitation. I'm Duminda Dizanayka. I'm originally from Sri Lanka. Currently, I'm doing my PhD at the University of Canberra and CSIR Australia. Uh, my current research combines uh, ecological and genomic principles together to study the evolution of sex determining system, especially in reptiles. My name's Claire Hollerley. I work at the Australian National Wildlife Collection, which is one of the seven major uh, research collections at CSIRO, which is Australia's national science agency. Well, thank you for joining me. And I guess the paper that we're here to discuss focuses on sex determination in lizards. But I guess just to start off, I wonder if we could zoom out a bit and explore what we mean by sex determination in general. Uh, Simply, uh, sex determination are known as the development pathway that commits the embryo to either become a a boy or the girl. The genes uh, underlying this process are the sex determination genes. In considering reptile, the sex determination mechanism is remarkably diverse, uh, ranging from systems that are under complete genetic control, that means the genotypic sex determination, to those that are highly dependent upon the temperature, we call the temperature-dependent sex determination, that embryo experience during the uh, development. Yeah, so, so simply put, really, sex determination is, you know, the process by which a cue is turned into a phenotype. So something will trigger you to become a male or a female. And one of the parts of this study that we're going to look at is how those cues can interact. So for humans, sex is determined via sex chromosomes, and that is going to be partially true for our lizards coming up. But sex in other species can also be determined by the environment, so the temperature that you experience when you're an embryo. And that's also part of the story that we're going to be telling you today. Perfect. And I guess we'll get to the sort of specific lizard in a second. But I guess what you're really looking at in this paper is sex reversal. And that might be a bit of an unusual concept for a lot of people. So what do you mean by sex reversal? So as I said, basically in the the earlier comment, your sex can be determined either by a genetic cue from your sex chromosomes or perhaps by an environmental cue such as temperature. But what we're interested in is the process of sex reversal. And it's really when these two cues kind of collide. So when you have a competing signal from your sex chromosomes telling you to do one thing, and the environment telling you to do another. There's this process called sex reversal where the temperature in this case can actually override what your sex chromosomes are telling you to be. So you might have the sex chromosomes telling you that you're to be a male, develop into a male, but the environment can then, if it's extreme enough, override that signal, and then you might become a female instead. 
So wow. what that means is that you end up as an adult where your sex chromosomes are that of what we would consider a male, but you physically look female. Wow. So that's what we mean when we say sex reversal. So there's a mismatch, basically. There's a mismatch between the sex chromosomes and what you physically look like. Uh, it's a very interesting and surprisingly common phenomenon if you are among the reptile, fish, amphibian world. It's not unusual at all. So this might be unusual for you know mammals. It doesn't happen that often, but it's pretty common <laughs> in other, other species. I mean, it does sound very interesting and very complex. And I think for a lot of people listening, it probably will be quite unusual. Mm, mm. Um, but I guess you've alluded a couple of times to the lizards that you've been working on. And the one that you chose to study was the Eastern Three-Lined Skink. And I wonder why you chose them. What makes them so interesting? Uh, yeah, uh, the Eastern Three-Lined Skink is uh, one of the remarkable and fascinating skink which uh, lives in Australia and also this species uh, endemic to Australia. The reason behind choosing uh, this specific species for this study has a bit of a story behind it. This skink has a mechanism of sex determination similar to that of human, like us. Male uh, have XY uh, sex chromosome and female have XX chromosome system. However, when the uh, natural eggs are exposed below uh, 20 Celsius in a laboratory condition, the underlying genetic mechanism is overridden by the cold temperature and that leads to producing pentypic males, but they bearing an XX chromosome. That means genetically they have the female genes. As Claire mentioned in above, this mechanism called as a sex reversal in this species. Um, can I add a little bit of a backstory also about how Bassiana kind of came to the forefront of our research team? So there was some preliminary work done by another group where they were looking at sex ratios in the wild. And it was, I guess, their observation that the sex ratios dramatically changed depending on the altitude. So if you've got normal chromosomal sex determination, you'd sort of expect a 50-50 boys to girls kind of ratio. And so it's pretty unusual when you start to see, you know, large biases one way or another away from that 50-50 ratio. It's sort of as your signal as a scientist to go, hmm, something, something strange is going on here. And this other group noticed that basically there was a relationship with elevation on alpine regions within this species. And that was when kind of the first idea that sex reversal might be happening in this species kind of came up. But then there's the process to actually sort of prove that. I guess you've got to really do the genetic work and you've got to do all the field work, which Duminda has done in this amazing project to really just tie that down, uh, looking at, you know, how many individuals have got that mismatch between their genetic component and their, their phenotype. So in our group, we work on sex reversal in not just this species. We work in the bearded dragon that's kind of the mirror image of this lovely skink, and it reverses at high temperatures. And these are kind of our two focal species. And we always kind of joke in the team that, you know, we set out looking for species where this might happen. And the first one that we looked at had sex reversal occurring. And Bassiana, the second one that we looked at, also turns out had sex reversal happening. And so we always kind of joke that either we're incredibly lucky as a research team, that we've got a 100% success rate, or in fact, it may be a quite common uh, phenomenon and we're maybe not as lucky as we, we might think. Uh, e either way, I think there'll be a lot of people listening that are quite envious of, uh, <laughs> of that look, <laughs> of that streak. <laughs> And I guess in this paper, was your specific aim to look at this link between sex reversal and elevation? Was that what you set out to find? Yeah, our broad aim was to find uh, whether the sex reversal individual lives in the wild. And if yes, uh, what is the frequency of sex reversal in the wild population within alone and elevation gradient? Mm, perfect. 
I guess now is a good time to kind of get into exactly what it is that you did. And I'm assuming that the first thing you did was quite a lot of fieldwork. And I wonder if you could just kind of explain where you went, what populations you sampled, how you decided which populations to sample, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, the fieldwork in Australia was a wonderful experience and it added a whole lot of new knowledge. Uh, So basically what I did was I selected 10 field locations along an elevation gradient in southeastern Australia, spanning a large portion of the distribution of our study species. Then I conducted our fieldwork in areas where the lizards were most abundant, uh, that is uh, in natural open areas. Also, we did our fieldwork in areas artificially cleared for overheaded uh, hydroelectric power lines or fire bands, roads and or tracks inside the forest and adult skink uh, like to aggregate in open area during the nesting season usually uh, it's happening mid-november to early december then adult skink captured by hand either when active or inactive then we got the measurements and phenotypic sex and after that we collected tail snips for the uh, our dna analysis can I also just say how amazing and intense the amount of field work that Dominion has done for this project is? And we've all been really impressed because in our other model species, we've been slogging away for, you know, I think over a decade now. And that work combined with all museum specimens in Australia, 10 years worth of field trips, Dominion has managed to meet the number of samples that we have collected collectively in you know over a decade of combined work plus museum contributions in a single PhD. So it's it's pretty mammoth effort that he's field managed to champion. achieve. In, field work champion <laughs> in a very, very short period of time. I also want to add there's some pretty significant challenges given that um, I'm sure you're aware of the mega fires mm. that happened in Australia last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dominda's field sites were majorly affected by that catastrophic event as well. So he's overcome a lot of challenges in one PhD and and we're really pleased to see this work coming out in heredity despite all those challenges. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. No, the wildfires did look like a, a bit of a nightmare for any kind of field biology in Australia. But I guess you went out, you collected tons of samples and I'm really curious about what you then did with these. So how did you actually identify cases of sex reversal? Yeah, uh, the cytogenetic is the more classical method is to identify a sex chromosome. But when you are working with a large number of samples, we cannot do the cytogenetic to see the chromosome because it is a really time-consuming and more costly procedure. Except in a special case, uh, we need to see the chromosome. So we develop a new technique uh, known as whole genome subtraction uh, method. Uh, actually, this is a new technique uh, used in first time to identify the uh, identify and isolate the sex chromosome sequencing in reptiles. Uh, using this technique, we isolated seven Y chromosome specific contexts. Uh, simply, that is a big chunk of sequencing. And then after that, we develop a specific primer, and then we develop a PCR sex test to identify the true XY male. Uh, those who bearing XX chromosome in a phenotypic uh, male uh, was categorized as a sex reverse male. Mm, cool. And I guess, what were you finding? Were you finding the strong link between sex reversals and elevation? Yeah, of course. Uh, with our study, uh, we found a significant correlation uh, between environmental variables, in this case, uh, environmental temperature, and sex reversal in the wild adult population of Passion Ripperi uh, for the first time in a reptile species with male heterogamic sex determination. We found that the, there is a high frequency of sex reversal occurring uh, at the alpine populations and decreasing uh, in the frequency to zero with the decreasing elevation. Yeah, we provide uh, good evidence in this paper uh, that the sex reversal can be a biological significant process in alpine population of three-line skink. 
Yeah, so basically that whole genome subtraction method is a new kind of, I guess, in silico subtraction where you compare the two genomes and just basically isolate which parts are, you know, either male or female specific. And that's what Dominda used to develop those high throughput markers. And they're key. If you can't tell what the sex chromosomes are, you can't find sex reversal. So that's, you know, step one, you've, you've got to have that. But you also have to have the phenotype. And so you need to know both sides of the coin to figure it out. And yeah, I think one of the most sort of stunning things about this study that Deminda has done is the fact that there was this really strong, significant correlation with elevation. So they start out at low elevation, 50-50 sex ratios with no sex reversal, just normal XY sex determination going on. And the higher you get, up, 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 the more sex reversal there is. What was the final sex ratio in your highest elevation site, Deminda? Do you remember? Uh, no, it's in Mount Ginini was my highest elevation. There's a 18.4% of sex reversal happening in that population. We also modeled uh, the impact of this under Fisher uh, frequency dependent selection to show that uh, at the high elevations, population risks the losses of the Y chromosome and uh, transition to the temperature dependent sex determination. When you are going high elevation, they are losing their Y chromosome. So we expect in the over 2000 meter elevation, the population could be a losses of their Y chromosome. So at that high site, basically, you've got this really high rate of sex reversal, and that means there's there's more X chromosomes around, basically. So the more sex reversal there is, the more X chromosomes there are. And so the higher you go, the colder you go, the more sex reversal there is, the more X chromosomes there are. One of the questions that this paper poses is if you go high enough and cold enough, can you just get to a point where there's no Y chromosome at all? I, mean, I guess one of the things that's quite interesting here is I'm wondering what the impact of the sex reversals has on the population genetics of these lizards. Like, is it a good thing? Is it a negative thing? And given that we are experiencing climate change, what impact might that have on these lizards kind of going forward? Yes, uh, actually, we don't know about these sex reverse male can reproduce and reproductive viable. So our future focus is uh, doing uh, that kind of experiment to see whether these ex, uh, sex reverse male can reproduce. So the key message coming out of these uh, studies related to the current hot topic of climate change, the current climate change has significant impact on several aspects of the biology and ecology of many reptile species of the world, uh, which uh, some has led to population decline or other severe in threats. Yeah, so I guess the, the likelihood of climate change impacting sex reversal and thus, you know, the loss of, of sex chromosomes potentially, I guess firstly sort of depends on what happens and your response to temperature. So in this species, in Bassiana the skink, they reverse at cold temperatures. So I guess, you know, one might argue that if, you know, we're sort of on average getting warmer, which is an assumption, right? That's a pretty broad assumption. You know, maybe sex reversal is actually going to become less common in this species, maybe. But the problem is also that, you know, climate change is not that simple. It's not necessarily just always going to be getting warmer. What we're also expecting is that the environment is going to become more variable. And so if the frequency of extreme cold events is also increasing, and if that corresponds with the time that these things are eggs and in that sensitive period, then, you know, you could actually have the opposite happen. You could have more sex reversal if there's a higher frequency of extreme events. So it's a little bit difficult to predict. It kind of depends, I guess, on frequency of extreme events, you know, and I guess mean temperature. So we don't we don't really know. We'd like to find out more. We need more research funding. <laughs> Always. <laughs> um, 
So I guess it is a really fascinating paper. And as you mentioned earlier, sex reversal is probably a lot more common than a lot of people appreciate. And I guess I wonder what you both think is the key message in this paper. So if you had to distill down this key idea that you're hoping people are going to take away from this paper when they read it, what do you think that would be? So the key general message, I guess, from this paper for me is that sex determination is firstly way more complicated and way more labile than people appreciate. And things that sort of appear immutable from the outside can actually change really rapidly in response to a change in selective pressures. And in this case, sex determination is intimately linked with our environment. And things that we think might be safe when it comes to climate change. For example, you know, something with identifiable sex chromosomes, we think, you know, that's not going to be affected by climate change. It's got sex chromosomes, it'll be fine. But here we can show that there are cases where environmental conditions can fundamentally change not only how that organism changes sex, it can change from either being a genetic to a temperature dependent system. That's like a massive change, which people thought would be you know, occurring on an evolutionary millions of years time scale. But we've shown that that can happen in an, a couple of generations if you have the right conditions. So it can happen way more rapidly. And also the fact that that event not only changes the sex determination system, but it's fundamentally changing the genome. I mean, if you're losing the Y chromosome as a result to these changes in environment, you're fundamentally altering these organisms. And this is kind of a you know really unexpected consequence of climate change. And it's one of those things where, you know, we all know climate change is bad and that it's going to have impacts, but there's things out there that can happen that you would never imagine. And this is, you know, maybe one of these sort of things that is not at the forefront of our mind, but the fact that we can have yet yeah, fundamental change in the life history of organisms and their genomes in a matter of generations, I think is really important. Perfect. I mean, it is a really fascinating system and it does seem like a really important topic and hopefully people will now having listened, go and read your paper. And I wonder if just to finish up, if you could remind us what your paper is called and also give a shout out to your co-authors. Uh, the paper is called High Elevation Increases uh, the Risk of Y-Chromosome Losses in Alpine Skin Population with Sex Reversal. And I would like to thank uh, and mention here my primary supervisor, Arthur Georges, and Janine Deacon uh, from uh, University of Canberra. And also Claire is here with us today uh, as a my supervisor. Also, I would like to thank uh, my colleagues at UC who helped me at the field and our funding organizations. Thank you. Could I also just definitely put a shout out to Arthur Georges, who is our fearless leader of this research program, I guess. Can I also have a bit of a shout out to the collections, including the Australian National Wildlife Collection that contributed to this research? Because I think going forward, as we learn more about sex determination systems, the impact of national collections is going to become really evident because, you know, this is where we're going to be able to look at temporal changes. So as we learn more about sex determination systems, like we don't know much about whether, you know, various species have X, Y or ZW sex chromosomes. But once we find that out, as I said, that other side of the coin is the phenotype. And so collections are going to become a really important reservoir for that sort of information. And it's also going to give us that element of temporal change about which direction are we going? Are we going in a way that we're going to lose sex chromosomes or are we heading in a, a more stable direction? So I guess you know, in my role as, as a scientist at our national collections, I just want to sort of have a bit of a plug for the utility of these institutions and the specimens that they hold. Yeah, definitely. These collections are an incredible but often underappreciated resource that people should definitely be taking more advantage of. But yeah, so thank you very much, both of you, for joining me and sharing your wonderful research. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
Thanks to Deminder and Claire. You can find their paper on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hdy. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 